Good morning, my friends, my neighbors, fellow shipmates on a ship of fools, fellow cellmates in a prison being run by the demigods of madness, <clears throat> fellow travelers on the Death Star of Failure. It's Monday, November the 8th, 2021 in the age of Bob Limpdock Yes, indeed. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. Once you say I love you, it goes next level. That's when the points kick in. That's, you know, and the frequent crier miles. <laughs> yeah, what does Dr. Freckles mean by that bullshit, right? And it almost sounds misogynistic if you're not willing to deconstruct gender issues, you fuck. Men and women cry, brothers and sisters. Men and women cry. If no one told you this, it's because they wanted to keep it a secret. But men and women both cry. You know? One is led to believe, from the reading of the Bible, that the Lord in heaven cries that the Lord in heaven um, has moments where in some sense, and I don't know what that sense would be, but in some celestial sense, there are tears running down the cheek of God. I mean, I'm not sure humans have words for these types of things because again, we're talking about God. So when I talk about I love you, I'm talking about that moment in a relationship when you get suckered. Because everything up until then is, you know, fucking and sucking, massaging of the various regions and the nads. Up until then, it's do I wear a condom? Do I open the door? Yes, up until that moment, it's all about the boobies. Up until that moment, up until you use the L word, it's all about the boobies and the butts and the oils and the greases. For some of you millennials and Generation Z, you, you seem to like to eat out the butt. I'm not sure that's a wise strategy, especially given the diet of humanity. But please, by all means, you butt eaters, give me a speech about the mask after you get done eating ass. But Dan, I read a New York Times article 
written by an actress named Sandra. And she says eating the butt helps you with cancer. And so it must be true, right? Because you saw it on TV. So you say, I love you, baby, or she says, I love you. One of you pulls the trigger. The other either affirms or moves away from it. And then it's all different. It's about emotional baggage and investment, and it could still be a scam. You know, it's a cliche, and it's in American pop culture, and you'll find it in songs and movies. You'll find it in the words of the narrator. Everybody says, I love you. Everybody says, I love you. I'll love you forever, baby. It's like we're living on an island in Hawaii, and you're like the sprinkle of sunshine on my morning penis. You know, everyone says I love you. And if you're a Christian, and you're getting all cringy because you don't like me talking about the junk, the junk the Lord already knows you have, remember the curses, the curses that never went away. They didn't. The curses as Adam and Eve left Eden. What was one of the curses? Let me paraphrase. Bitch, you're going to hate your man. Dude, you're going to want a man cave because your bitch is going to be ragging on you. Twice as hard when she's on the rag. Did I tell you, bitch, that you're going to bleed? There were curses as Adam and Eve left Eden. There were curses that never left. If you're a Christian and you understand original sin, then you better understand the fucking curses. Everybody says I love you. And probably, and this is my theory, because despite all my nihilistic bullshit, I actually do care Probably there are people that mean it. I think everybody says, my mom loved me. I don't know if she always loved me. I don't see how that's possible. But it is possible, perhaps my mom always loved me. Even when I did stupid shit. Even when I failed people in my life and she knew about it, she still loved me, right? She didn't live long enough to see me get divorced. But she probably saw that coming. But when it comes to, like, boyfriends and girlfriends, once you say, I love you, you've crossed the Rubicon. You're beyond whatever, you know, fondling and junk handling and tongue techniques and the eight dancing moves of the Tibetan knights of Sanskrit up the butt. You're beyond the eating out the asshole. You're beyond the sucking the toes. You're beyond all that bullshit because you've said something meaningful. You've said, I love you. And that's when the points kick in.
Yeah, you start earning points on your existential, transcendental, transversal relationship credit card. points kick in and you get the frequent crier miles. And what do I mean by frequent crier miles? Well, this is where you need to deconstruct your own gender bullshit. Could be the guy, could be the gal, could be the gal, gal, guy, guy. I don't care what you think your gender is. Personally, if you're listening to this podcast, you must enjoy people talking about their junk. I don't really enjoy it. I don't. That's why I mock it. I don't really talk about my junk. I talk about junk in the abstract. But I can do without people having celebrations of their junk. I don't care if they're heterosexual, homosexual, transsexual. I don't care if they think they're a furry demon. What you do with your nasty bits is your business. And if you're not a total asshole, you keep your business private. Within reason. For example, if you want to write a book describing the eight positions that you suffered through with your third ex-wife, you write that fucking book, but you don't have a right to force it on people. If you want to go down to the corner in Vegas somewhere and start screaming about how some woman wronged you, God bless. Warn the men. Men need to be warned, believe me. But you don't have a right to make people listen to you. I don't care if you're really excited about your junk, about your nads, about your private parts. If those things are so critical to your existence that you have to build a philosophy around them, fine. That's your fucking business. But what really becomes the issue is when you force that shit on other people. Me personally, I just walk away. Because I know something that every adult should know after they turn the age of 13. Well, definitely every kid knows by the time they become 13. But definitely every adult should know. Everybody says I love you. Everybody uses that word like it's worn out. The Lord in heaven knows that, believe me. The Lord in heaven has heard people say, I love you, God, so many times. And the next day, they do something stupid and evil. Well, but I did love you, God. You know that river? That river in Seattle? The one we don't talk about, where you don't eat the crab? That river was put there by God. Not by Raytheon or Boeing. They didn't put the river... In Seattle, they didn't put the Duwamish in Seattle. No, the Duwamish River where salmon would run up that river in a healthy way and not gulp a bunch of toxic garbage, that river was put there by God. It took a bunch of nasty, lawyer-bound, legalistic, crony motherfuckers in a neo-Stalinist hellhole to turn that river into a toilet. Everybody says I love you. Those same motherfuckers will go on camping trips with their kids. 
and pray to God and thank the Lord in heaven for the blue sky. And those same motherfuckers will sign a document saying, yeah, go ahead and dump that shit in the river, in the Pacific. Go ahead and spray that shit from the sky. Okay? We don't care if some people die. We don't care if some people get cancer. We go up into the woods and get on our knees and say, I love you, God. Can't you see my tears? The Lord in heaven knows that the word love gets used a lot. A lot. In fact, it gets used so much that I think the Hebrews had more than one word for love, and there's a deeper, powerful love called hesed, and that's the kind of love God has. And what it really means to translate it to people in 2021 Boblimtok is that God loves you even if you're a shithead. Up to a point, probably, I don't know. Frankly, I've read my Psalms and I've read my gospel and I'm of the belief that the Lord is patient, but I don't believe that the Lord is infinitely patient. You know, there are consequences. Things do happen if we do terrible things. But has said, says the following, that the Lord still loves you even though you fuck up. Even though you hurt your family or you, you lie or you cheat or you steal, the Lord still loves you. He even loves murderers. I don't love murderers. I don't. I won't say that. You know, I might say I love someone, but if I find out they're a killer, I probably stop loving them. And it's not about, I'm not talking about self-defense and I'm not, I'm not talking about signing up for the Uncle Sam joyride, Okay. I signed up for the military. I understand the Uncle Sam joyride. That's not what I'm talking about. However, if you go to combat and then you re-up after that, then I think it's on you in that case. I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm not talking about the one-time Charlie, Uncle Sam, I joined the military joyride. I'm talking about people who want to kill. For example, I, I can't, I just have no other words for it, a lot of these doctors right now. I don't know why they want to kill you. It could be they're just really nasty, wretched people. But a lot of them want you dead. And when they, when they do that, when they take your last breath, some of them are going to say they love you. And some of them will have tears running down their faces. <sighs> Next topic. Here's another quote from Dr. Freckles. If you can breathe, it's hard to leave. If you can get air... No, I won't go from there. No, that's all I want to say about space travel. Dr. Freckles. You say, Dan, that's dumb. If you can breathe, it's hard to leave. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. You could be on Mars, and you could have lots of the basic gases you would need for an atmosphere, for a thick atmosphere. 
And you might even have enough CO2 and methane in the upper atmosphere that you could warm it up a little. But here's the thing. Because it's Mars, because its mass is significantly less than the Earth, I think it's something like one-fourth or one-eighth. But the point is, the mass, the actual, if you want to think in terms of weight, but let's use a proper word, M-A-S-S, the mass of Mars is significantly less than that of Earth. So here's the thing. You can have the oxygen and the nitrogen, and you can have the CO2, and you can have all the bits and pieces, so it kind of seems like the Earth's atmosphere. But the one thing you won't have with the lower mass is the air pressure. You see, it's not just enough to have the oxygen and the nitrogen and all of these nice gases. You need an air pressure that the human body is designed to breathe in those, you know, those conditions, those low air pressures. The air pressures are never going to be that strong on Mars. Even if you have atmosphere, you're still going to have extremely low pressure. In fact, when I was reading about this topic of terraforming, terraforming Mars back in the 90s, they pointed out that even once you were done, best case, breathing outside would be like breathing above 20,000 feet, which means breathing at an altitude where you'll die without breathing equipment. So even if you terraform Mars, even if you had water on Mars and snow on Mars and rain on Mars, humans aren't evolved for that low air pressure. Now here's the problem. The higher air pressure does two things. It means two things. It means your planet is heavier. It also means that that first layer of atmosphere is really thick. It's so thick that, for example, when the Saturn V rocket was launching our astronauts to the moon, a friend of mine told me this. I never checked on it because I trust him. But a friend of mine said, did you know, Dan, that 50% of the energy in the Saturn V rocket, 50% of that fuel energy was expended in the first 10,000 feet. So let's get back to that dumb quote from Dr. Freckles. If you can breathe, it's hard to leave. And I think that's basically true. You know, I'm not sure it's very, you know, um, earth shattering or profound. I don't even know why I wrote this quote down, really. But it's one of those subjects where when we're thinking about space travel, we need to consider the fact that maybe the way we've been doing it for like the last 50, 60, 70 years is kind of wrong. I've spoken with my friend Jim Davidson about this. And he knows far more about this than I do. I did a fair amount of research on the subject about a year ago because I was intrigued by it. But dirigibles, lighter than aircraft, you know, balloons, if you want to think of them, but balloons with structure. People have been experimenting with high altitude ballooning for a long time. A, a few years ago, that guy, you know, the Red Bull guy, he jumped from a capsule being suspended by a balloon system at, I think, around 123, I think, 120,000 feet, maybe 130. But he was about 20 miles up plus, maybe 22. He was way up there. He was 
not all the way to space, okay, not the 50-some miles that Bezos is charging 250k for, but a fair, a fair distance, you know, definitely to the point that for all intents and purposes, the outside of that capsule was a vacuum, okay? But at that altitude, you can optimize rockets for space. You may not know this, but the reason why nozzles in a multi-stage rocket have a slightly different design is because they need to be optimized for a certain level of atmosphere. Now, I believe that the folks at SpaceX and other places have worked on solutions to this problem so the rocket engines have adjustable nozzles and it's not really an issue any longer. But one of the reasons why in the first era of, you could say, space travel that they had these different design nozzles is, like I said, different levels of air pressure and atmosphere require a certain nozzle design. But what if you could lift a rocket to 20 miles and then, you know, turn it on? Seems like that would be better than punching through the atmosphere. And there are companies, um, organizations. Raccoon was a project in Canada. I think they were working on a, a solution to the XPRIZE. I don't know if they're still doing things. There's, I think it's Avialto is making progress on a kind of dirigible balloon system for high altitude, um, for potentially for high altitude space delivery, where you actually deliver a satellite to, to low Earth orbit or, or maybe even beyond that. And, you know, it's funny, when I was a teenager, I remember getting, you know, I think I was waiting at Vern Sims or waiting to get a haircut and there was a popular mechanics or popular science. I know it's owned by the deep state, but it had a cover. And I think the cover was something about Lockheed was designing these ships, these giant ships that could go almost 4,000 miles per hour, but they looked ridiculous. They looked too big. And my teenage brain was thinking in terms of the thick atmosphere. But I think what Lockheed was talking about at the time was high altitude um, dirigibles. You know, if you want to think of it, think of it like the Hindenburg. But imagine an optimized Hindenburg at 20 miles up. Well, here's a few things you need to think about. 20 miles, 20 miles up, if you have a kind of neutral buoyancy, which means you're not going up or going down, 20 miles up, it's almost a vacuum. So if you have neutral buoyancy and you're in a vacuum, it's almost like the ideal frictionless plane, you know, in physics. If you have a plane and you're pushing an object on it, you know, without any resistance, it should just keep on going, right? You know, um, without an equal and opposite force, right? So imagine you're 20 miles up and you have some form of propulsion and you can maintain um, neutral buoyancy it would be a lot like a frictionless environment. Not totally frictionless. And of course, a gigantic dirigible, even in a very low air pressure, is going to have resistance. But I would argue probably just enough resistance to keep things safe. Because again, I remember playing asteroids and keeping that little ship under control wasn't easy. I mean, that game of asteroids was a lot like flying or really just navigating a frictionless plane. It's possible 
that you can conceive of high-altitude ballooning a lot like navigating a frictionless plane. Or nearly frictionless. If you can breathe, it's hard to leave. If you can take a breath, and you can avoid death, you might be stuck here. Next topic, you know, in recent days we've been talking about the season of Boblimtok. Boblimtok season is a special season. It is the season in which the holiday of Grinkin time happens. And of course, there's everybody's favorite Boblimtok day, Red Thursday. When you go get something, you get something for the person you love. You get her some flowers covered in diesel fuel because the truck exploded and you were running being chased by freaks because the target closed early you were running down the alley of your soul your heart was turning to dust on Red Thursday Yes, it is the season of Boblimptok. In this season, I will sharpen my punji sticks. I will poop on them. I will pee on them. I will bury them for St. Frudulus. In the season of Boblimptok. I will run wild, eating field flesh and jernigating myself with the mountain salts and the ancient greases, and I'll be chased by grizzly bears in the time of Boblimtok. I will steal the fire of Moog. Torgenald, the last wench healer, will establish a Toglermite kingdom in the eastern realm somewhere near Curvasus, Utah. Nigel Apil, the hunter of busty and barely dressed witches, will spend his nights chased by the Gunzel Wargs, armed with glowing swords, doing cocaine. 
as if the world were a whirligig, as if your life was a carnival ride being run by old Smokey Charlie, and he has a cigarette dangling from his lips, and he's looking at you with leering eyes. He's thinking of french fries and onion ring dreams. And he's looking at you, baby, with lusty feelings, with greasy fingertips, and some type of brown substance under his fingernails. In the season of Boblimtok. Keldor. Let me drink some coffee before we talk about Keldor. Keldor, the unconquered one, in the age of Boblimptok, his hooker wife, Gundarella, will embluviate her Kajula. She will spend hours in oil baths rubbing cuddlick sauces on her junk and shit. She will ingluviate. She will bumbluviate. She'll take gombi grease and rub it on her boobies until she reaches maximum love vibration. And Keldor would watch from behind a privacy curtain. After the last cauldron queen is expelled from Corasia, the Sundor priestesses will spend their days wrestling in the mud pools of Vors. Taunty snakes wrapping themselves around the busty maidens make folly with Curskunctus and the warrior women purr, as eel birds once did when the day was new. Yes, taunty snakes wrapping themselves around the busty maidens make folly with curskunctus. And the warrior women purr as the eel birds once did. And that is your Boblimtok story, your Greekentime tale. It is Boblimtok and everything is 100% off. Everything's on sale. 
So until next time, dream of your Boblintok and your Grinkin' Day. Think about what you'll be drinking alone in your Scorbus zone on Grinkin's Eve. Make out, make out your list. Make out your revenge list. Then throw it away. Because God will take care of it, buddy. You just figure out how to survive. Protect the people you love. Purify water. Find some food. Don't be rude. And try to survive. Next topic. So about a year ago, I had this thought experiment about a scenario. It was maybe a year, year and a half ago. In fact, the first time I talked about it might have been 2019, months before the, the months before the echoes of Boblim talk, months before the monkey herpes ravaged its 72 zones of pleasure on planet Orbis. Months before the repo apocalypse, months before all this bullshit started to come to fruition, maybe. So I'm going to talk about the thought experiment. But it might have been after Boblim Talk began. It might have been after the monkey herpes. One does not know in the foggy memories of Seattle, a Seattle kind of thought, thought reality of junky people and crap heads and how drunk you have to get just to, well, suffer them, really. But here's the story. Sometime in the near future, there's not enough food. Sometime in the near future, probably because of something government did, there's not enough food. It's not permanent. I mean, there'll be more food sometime in the future. Can you not eat for maybe two to three years? You see, here's the thing about famines. Famines really aren't about there's no food. They're mostly about resources being mismanaged. And I don't care who you vote for, if you're a Democrat or Republican, Fine. What you need to know is governments are just terrible at pretty much everything they do. So if you expect the government to help you with logistics or supply chain or food, you're probably fucked. So when you think about famine, yes, there are often natural issues, issues of drought. There are issues involving, you know, various insects and, you know, what, you, what, what, what for and what not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All sorts of natural forces can conspire to give you a famine. But often, yeah, governments conspire to give you famines too. And maybe it's not conspire. Maybe it's just a fiasco. Maybe it's simply the fact that governments suck. But whatever the reason is, you get a famine. So imagine in America, two years from now, and we're two years into a famine. And it's not going to last forever. But like I said, can you, you know, avoid eating for 5 or 10 or 20 years? Can you figure that out? You know, really, that's why you call it a famine, because you can't. The simple calculus is you die. You know, if you don't get enough water, you die. If you don't get 
healthy, breathable air at the right pressure, you die. And if you don't get enough food, you die. This isn't super advanced math. If you didn't figure this out after you were 12 or 13 or 15, I can't help you. You have to eat to live. Now, can you overeat and die? Of course you can. And with all this Norman Borlaug high-carb sugar food, a lot of people inadvertently are overeating. They just don't really know it. Or rather, they're eating garbage and not getting any nutrition. Maybe that's another way of putting it. And guess what? That's another kind of famine. You can have all kinds of fat people with all kinds of fat, and they might have almost no, you know, almost none of the minerals or vitamins they need to survive. You can have people who are overweight and malnourished. And if I'm shocking you, I shouldn't be shocking you. But then again, read some Cato Institute paper and they'll tell you that some scrumbo freak in Malibu, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you that on this diet they've been feeding you for 50 years, you can be overweight and it's not just the weight that's killing you. It's the fact that you're not getting any of the things your body actually needs. It needs food. It doesn't need Brondo. So two years from now, and we're two years into a famine. And you hear a discovery from CERN in Switzerland. They've found a universe, an empty universe, and they found an Earth just like ours. It's got the flowers, it's got the birdies, it's got the water that's not filled with mercury. It's got the salmon that are still swimming upstream. The government tells you, they say, we found this universe and we found another Earth. And yes, there are sci-fi shows about this. So that's why I'm bringing it up too. Because there are lots of shows like that Terra Nova show from 2011. Lots of shows that have discussed this, this particular issue. And if you believe in the multiverse, then this is even better for you. I personally do not. But it works for me because I'll continue. The government tells you that they've discovered a multiverse. And there's only one drawback. The only drawback is you have to be there for at least 10 years before you can come home. But during those 10 years, you can send emails. During those 10 years, you can text. You can send pictures of the other Earth. You can show yourself having sexy adventures. You can ride a gorilla. You can kiss a snake. So if you're one of the elite Marines or Navy SEALs that goes on the first expedition to this other Earth, this other world that's just like ours, you get to come back in 10 years, okay? Now the good news is, for you on the other side, it'll only be like maybe a few months. It's one of those time dilation things. Believe me, they'll have a version of Fauci, Fauci the physicist, who will explain all of this using garbage language.
okay? They'll tell you, oh yeah, you know, it's 10 years for us, but it's a couple months for them, and it's no big deal, and you'll get text messages and emails periodically with weird timestamps because, hey, time dilation, blah, 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 I am the Fauci of physics, and I'm gonna mind fuck you. Just like, you know, the other Fauci of medicine, mind fucked you over the monkey herpes COVID. And and so the government sends the the special forces and they start sending text messages every once in a while. Of course, the intervals are long, you know, sometimes weeks, months, right? Because time dilation shit, right? So you wait a while because for them, it's just a couple months, but for you, it's 10 years, right? Thinking about what has happened during the, the quote-unquote COVID-19 pandemic, which has about as much reality as me being a professional basketball player and also having fucked your mom, okay? If you believe in the mathematics of the COVID bullshit, then I can use the same wretchedly stupid sideways thinking and tell you that I fucked your mom, that you're my shit baby, because, hey, look at the logic of Anthony Fauci and his 27 masks, right? And maybe you weren't one of those dumb fucks, and God bless if you weren't, but you might have been. Think about all the dumb fucks that put on a mask, put on two masks, they played the hokey pokey, they played Simon Says, they did all the little LARPing. Think about the LARPers who actually believe the bullshit. I don't know what the number is. I frankly don't believe the vaccination numbers. That's a separate topic. But when Biden, if Biden were to say 70 or 80% of Americans are vaccinated, I would think I would call bullshit on that. I don't know what the real number is. But whatever the number is, think about the people that are still um, trapped by their love and faith for, you know, their faithfulness to government because government's always saying, I love you. Always, right? So the government, three years, you know, one year into the discovery of New Earth, the government makes an announcement because it's three years into the famine. And already the population of the United States has dropped by about <laughs> 50 million people, maybe 60 million. Yeah, and maybe worse, right? We don't really know. We don't really know. We have no way of, of figuring this out. When we do hit that particular wall, it's going to be shocking to everybody. But by the third year, one year into the discovery of the other world, the Terra Nova, the other planet, the other universe, Earth 2, whatever the fuck you want to call it, one year into that, three years from now, the government announces the booth, the magical booth on every corner you step in and you get to go to the other side. And then you get to come back in a couple months. Now for us on Earth, it'll be like 10 years, okay? But for you, it's a couple months. There are food shortages. 
you're watching your kids die of starvation, you're seeing these pictures and videos of people on the other side, and they look happy, and they look healthy, and they look well-fed, your skies look like garbage, their skies look blue and normal, your water is brown and grimy and catches fire, the water you're seeing in the rivers on the other side from the pictures are blue and white and beautiful and fresh. And you look at your kids and they cry every night because they're hungry. And the government says they have a magical booth that will take you and your kids and some of your luggage to the other world. What would you do? You see, the excuse I got from a lot of people in the last year, I'm wearing the mask because I love my grandma. There's no science to it, but that's the reason. I'm wearing the mask because I love my kids. There's no science or logic to it, but that's the reason. I'm wearing two masks because Fauci said so. I'm wearing two masks even though it hurts. I think you would see lines. Like when I went to the World's Fair in Canada, I think it was Vancouver, Canada, and I want to say it was 88 or 89, could have been 87. But it was definitely the late 80s, I think. And there were all these exhibits, like the exhibit for the, um, the Maglev, Japanese Maglev train. You know, it rode on a... a it rode on a bed of magnetic fields, okay? Which gets us into an interesting interesting topic, and that is, you know, magnetic engineering. Because I, I have a feeling, both in terms of fusion energy development and potentially other technologies, that engineering magnetic fields is going to be a big thing in the future if there is a future, and that's a real big if. Or at least a future that involves high technology. Yes, indeed. If you think and meditate on what your brothers and your friends, your sisters, your fathers, your sons, your daughters, your uncles, your nieces, your nephews, if you think at the level of just, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what the, word, the right word is, naivete, incredulity. If you look at the level of just blind ignorance and faith when it came to what the government was telling people to do, and you think in those terms, what do you think would happen when the government announces the booth? The booth that takes you to the world where your kids won't go to sleep hungry every night. Forget today. Forget the fact that they're telling you there's toilet paper shortages or coin shortages or other types of boy that cried wolf psyops. Ignore the fact that you still have food today. This is not the world we're talking about. There is still food in the grocery store. It might be pixelated. You might not have every kind of pasta you want, but there's still pasta in the pasta aisle. You may not have all the farmer's eggs, but there are still eggs. You may not have every cut of meat you want, but you can still buy meat. And I think you can even still buy fish. It may not be fish that's very good for you, but why do you fucking care? You're walking around with a mask on, dumb shit. 
So don't use today as a reference. Don't. Because there's still food. Even for the poorest of Americans, there's still ways of getting food. I, I need you to imagine going for days and maybe weeks without eating. And that is something that could be down the road for a lot of people in a lot of situations. And so if the government said they had a magical fucking booth that will take you and your family to a magical fucking safe place, maybe you would not be dumb enough to get into the booth, but I think a lot of fucking Americans would. And I've been on social media. It's not that hard to fake other people's bullshit. And the government pretty much does spy on you. So how hard do you think it would be for them to construct a text message? How hard do you think it would be for them to send out an email, maybe once or twice a year? Because remember, time dilation, biatch, you know? Physics Fauci is going to explain all this garbage to you. And if most of your target population is going to go to the booth in the first 18 months, and if they're only going to expect maybe one or two text messages, a picture here and there, during those 18 months, how much suspicion is there going to be? Especially if you have the, the Anthony Fauci of physics. Maybe it's going to be, yeah. Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I bet they pick Neil deGrasse Tyson to be the prophet of the booth. And he'll say the booth is safe. He'll say the booth is good. He'll say that there's magic in the neighborhood on the other side. people, people you know and love will go into the booth. So let's continue on this, this process here. Let's say the government during a famine, let's say the government during a famine put up little, um, had no really just like food trucks and drove to the neighborhoods and on the side of the food truck was written free bread. Let's say during the coming famine, the government has a bunch of food trucks. Probably, you know, maybe Amazon will help them out with this. Bezos, you fuck. And they drive around the neighborhoods with their little Amazon partnership trucks. And on the side of the little van, on the side of the food truck says free bread. And your kids are hungry, and you are hungry, and you haven't eaten in one or two weeks. Maybe even three, maybe a month. Maybe you're beginning to actually suffer some of the serious effects of hunger. Maybe you're starting to get that bloated stomach, right? Maybe you look like bones. And all of a sudden, the government van comes by, and maybe they're playing Wagner. Maybe they're playing Beethoven. Who knows what the paperclip Nazis recommended. And on the side of the truck it says free bread. Now for a moment I'm reminded by what Heinlein once wrote into one of his books. 
the moon is a harsh mistress, and that's Tanstaffel. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. There isn't. There's no, there's just no such thing as free bread. If you're a libertarian, if you're a, better yet, if you're an anarchist like myself, you know that free bread is bullshit. I mean, you also probably suspect that just eating bread will probably kill you anyways, right? You need more than bread. Even if the government intended to do something good, like assume the government intended to give you bread, knowing that the government is basically incompetent at everything it does, there's going to be a probability that some percentage of people die. They'll die from allergic reactions. They'll die from bread that is simply, you know, prepared badly and maybe gives you food poisoning. Who the fuck knows why? But what you can be rest assured of is that the government is incompetent enough that even handing out bread is something that it would fail to do without killing people. And that's assuming that they're actually, you know, their best intentions are to help you, to, to give you bread. If in fact they have crooked intentions, well, they're pretty good at that. They're pretty good at poisoning. They're pretty good at polluting and poisoning and killing. So yeah, maybe they have good intentions. They're still going to fail. Some people will die. Some people who maybe have a certain intolerance, some people who have an allergic reaction and in a, and then they're, you know, given the fact that they've been starving for a few weeks, their body's already in a dodgy state. Some of the people who are making the bread for the government will simply screw up, period. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why, even if the government's heart was in the right place, they would kill people handing out free bread. This is something to think about, brothers and sisters. This isn't the quote-unquote scenario um, where they're deliberately killing people with the booth. Because that's the, that's the thing about the booth story. This other earth is not real. It's a fake, just like the monkey herpes COVID. That booth doesn't take you to another universe. There's probably a giant blender underneath it, you know. And that slurry probably gets taken someplace to be fed to pigs, and those pigs will be the bacon you get once a month because you're being such nice little slaves. That's, that's probably the story of the booth. And the story of the bread is this, even if the government intends to give you bread that doesn't kill you, it'll still probably kill some people. Because, you know, it's the government. I had people a year ago tell me, well, I think, you know, some of the vaccines probably saline. And I got suckered into that too. I even did a, um, a podcast called Placebo or Poison, where I said it could be a placebo, it could be poison. But at least I pointed out then what I will reiterate now. Let's assume the government is part of this grandiose psyop of ours that allows hospitals to cover up preventable hospital-acquired infection and thereby not get sued, but instead get a big check for killing grandma. Boy, that's a payoff, isn't it? 
Um, if this government is that crooked, maybe they would simply give people saline. Maybe it is simply an obedience experiment. On some level, that could be true. The problem is, it's the fucking government. If you're an anarchist, if you're a libertarian, out of the box, you must believe that they're going to be worse at doing every essential thing than the free market. If you don't believe that, what the fuck is wrong with you, commie? Okay? Your ideology, your brain functions all screwed up. So if you recognize that out of the box, the government will fail to do anything as well as the free market, and that's the best case scenario, then out of the box you have to admit basically guaranteed failure at some percentage. It might not be a hundred percent failure, but there's going to be a percentage of failure. So let's say you assume all these stupid vaccines are just saline. They're just salt water. They're nothing. They're just a placebo. They don't do anything. You still have some random motherfucker injecting something into you. Even if the government was just injecting people with saline, a certain percentage of people would be killed. Let's talk about first do no harm, which is no longer really a medical thing. But for a long time, doctors claimed it as a value. First do no harm. What does that mean? Well, I don't want to go into every angle, but it does definitely mean at least one thing. Don't do superfluous bullshit. Which means that if you are taking a syringe and filling it with saline, don't, it, don't put it into anybody unless that person, you know, actually needs saline. If the purpose of the syringe is bullshit, that's an example of harming somebody, even if that syringe contains saline. Some percentage of idiots that administer a saline shot will inject bubbles. Some percentage of manufacturers who produce the saline shots will have impurities. Some percentage of people shot up with this government saline shot are going to have an allergic reaction. And some percentage are going to die. And it's just a saline shot, right? That's all that it is. You see, this is the thing that kind of bothers me about the discussions and the debates around the vaccine, is that it's mostly about people coming up with a rationalization as to how it is they can get vaccinated and it's, it's just no big deal. It's just ordinary operations. And what I'm saying is the following. There is never a condition under which somebody takes a metal spike and drives it through your you know, your epidermis drives it through your skin into your flesh and it has zero risk. I'll repeat that. There is never a situation where taking some random foreign body and ramming it into your flesh has zero risk. I'm not saying it's super high risk. It's a lot like being shot with a pellet gun. Like for those of you who want to go around saying, I think the vaccination's no fucking big deal, I kind of want to get one of those 1,000 feet per second pellet guns and shoot you in the ass once a month. And because it's no fucking big deal, right? It's not going to kill you. How could it? It'll just, you know, penetrate the skin. It could transfer, yeah, it could transfer MRSA from the skin into your body. It could lead... To blood poisoning and that could kill you but it's no big deal it's just you being jabbed 
from a distance. This is my point about first do no harm, and, and I, I just want to repeat this, is that it implies you should not do just dumb shit to do dumb shit. If you're a doctor and you know you're about to inject somebody with saline, there, and you know that the person doesn't have a saline deficiency, it isn't a blood pressure issue, it's literally just a syringe designed to do nothing, <coughs> excuse me, as a doctor, if you care about your patient, you should say no. You could argue there are you know there are definitely conditions under which pain is going to happen. If a doctor needs to reset your leg because you broke it, it's going to hurt, especially if you don't have painkillers. But th this is the important part. Doctors don't break people's legs, hopefully, in order to set them. They don't. They shouldn't. Doctors don't irradiate people's nads in order to treat them for cancer. Doctors are not supposed to harm people. Doctors shouldn't go around giving people shots that they know do absolutely nothing. And if the argument is, well, there's a psychological reason, you're just basically saying it's a mind fuck. Go to step one. I mean, that's what they were saying about the mask. Well, no, you shouldn't wear it, but maybe it makes people feel better. I remember March of 2020, the first arguments for the mask were, well, solidarity. Nobody really knew with what or who, but some type of crooked solidarity, even though it didn't do anything. That should have been the message, this is bullshit, but people didn't catch on. That's why so many people will eat the free bread. That is why so many people will go into the booth if Neil deGrasse Tyson says there's another world there, another universe for your kids, and there's salmon, and there's salmon barbecues, and cheeseburgers, and you haven't eaten in three weeks. Yeah, maybe you won't go into the booth, but a lot of people will. And they will get blended up, and they will become the bacon. When this all started, about maybe a few weeks into it, I started calling this snow day because my basic assumption was snow day couldn't last more than a few months. And I think I was both right and wrong. They've managed to stretch out snow day for lots of reasons, probably not least of which they probably had a lot of stuff in warehouses before snow day hit. 
And it's one of the reasons why a lot of these weird supply chain discussions about ships off the coast that can't be unloaded, it's why it all seems so freaking bizarre. Remember the nation that basically moved about 200,000 people, you know, 10, 12,000 miles in a few months before the first Gulf War? And then spent years, you know, basically bragging about the miracle of logistics and how good the military's at logistics. That's what they told me when I was in the Army back in the 90s. So tell me why you couldn't unload all those freaking ships. You could. It's bullshit. You could unload every single one. The, the, the things they're telling you about the hackers and the Tyson Foods and the pipelines and all this other crap, all the excuses they're using are Soviet-style commie excuses. They're cop-outs. They're bullshit. When the famine hits, they won't tell you. They won't. In fact, at first, you'll think of it in terms of toilet paper. At first, you'll see it in terms of coin shortages. That was on purpose, by the way. They don't want you to believe it at first. They'll want you to spend a few weeks before you realize that no one is refilling the aisles at the grocery store. In fact, they've so conditioned you that some of you will wait outside of Costco six months after things have gone to shit imagining some cargo prophet saying, Welcome to Costco. I love you. When this all started, I didn't think Snow Day could last for more than three months. They managed to take us through what I would call a sino... I would call this a sino... A sino... Ugh, sinusoidal. I would call this a sinusoidal curve. They managed to walk us through a sinusoidal curve. Um, think in terms of trigonometry. Think in terms of a sine curve, a wave. They managed to take us through waves of psyops. And, and they keep bringing old ones back. So, yeah, you might be in Florida. You might be in Texas. Currently... You might be in the, the cooler zone of the COVID, but there's some other PSYOP being tossed your way. You know, probably, you know, the race war stuff is continually being pushed and there's other little distractions and trauma dramas. And definitely the Trump, the never-ending Trump trauma drama is a PSYOP for everybody. We're going to be two years into this pretty soon. And the longer it lasts in my opinion, the worse it looks. There are people still trying to like say, well, Dan, it's the reset, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what they'd be resetting to other than THX 1138, Zardoz, or Logan's Run. Some crooked dystopia, maybe, when there's like 30 or 40,000 humans left. But that'll be after many billions die. And if that's the reset you're talking about, great. But... I think you're way overestimating what these people can do.
And it's a bad habit to have if you're a libertarian, if you're an anarchist, if you're a voluntarist or an agorist. It's a really bad habit to overestimate the powers of these people. Yes, they've got their printed money. Yes, they are crooked. Yes, they still have their fingers on buttons that can kill people. But they're not infinitely powerful. And in a lot of ways, the United States government is like that 600 or 700 pound person that is basically, you know, bed bound, more or less, other than their, their, easy, their easy flow scooter. The one that takes them to the Chevron to get their 12 pack of beer and their 18 Snickers bars. That is the U.S. government at this point. A diabetic alcoholic that is so overweight that it can pour massive amounts of money into a program called the F-35 and all it can do is produce brown turd stains on the bed that it never cleans up. Which means it also has bed sores and probably cancer. That is the U.S. government at this point. It isn't super powerful. It's probably super weak in a relative sense. It wants you to believe it can do everything, including forcing every American to take a vaccination. And it will lie about it. I don't know what the real percentage is. I'm hoping that, that despite all my negativity and my pessimism, that a lot of Americans have simply said no, and they're not recording that. They're recording it as yes. I wouldn't be surprised. They're liars. Why would they tell you the truth about the percentage of vaccinated? They would lie to you to get you to get vaccinated. If they put the booth on your corner and nobody showed up, if they put the booth on your corner and it was crickets, the next day you'd see an article that would tell you that 80% of all Americans love the booth. And then they'd tell you a few weeks later that 30% of all Americans have been through the booth. But for the days, through those days, through all those days, those hungry days where you can't feed your family and you look at that booth on the corner, nobody shows up. That could also be the truth. The thing about this social media panopticon they've created is that they've managed to distort all of our realities to the point that very little of it can be trusted. So the question is, if the booth shows up, will there be a line? If there's a, a van giving out free bread from the government and Amazon.com, will you go grab your crony poison bread? I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. Even if I assume the government has the best intentions, I know it's the government. So there's still a probability that that slice of free bread or that trip to the other universe will get fucked up. Let's assume there is this other world and the booth actually leads you there. There's going to be some percentage of people that just don't make it. Who knows where they go? Maybe nobody cares. They are necessary sacrifices, right?
I don't want to beat a dead horse and my voice is getting hoarse and I'm getting cotton mouth because I ran out of coffee minutes and minutes ago. So I think I'll close this out on this Monday morning. It's almost 2 a.m. Can you believe it, brothers and sisters? 2 a.m. on November the 8th in the age of Boblimtok where the sky monsters and the sky demons look down upon you and they smile. Yes, most of the banshees that crawl through the woods are now chuckling, chuckling, chuckling at you. They wonder why you're the fool of history, the clown of the chasm. And they know the truth. Everybody knows the truth. Everybody understands the simple fact. Everyone says I love you. And, yeah. Yeah.